Soki here with John Heyman. We are recording on September 2nd, a Friday, yesterday, Thursday, of course. John's Inside Baseball came out. He started off looking at some of his award winners and more so the process. And it's a process that is imperfect and is never going to have a, a correct answer, um, in my opinion. And so I, I want to dive into a little bit of that. Um, we'll talk some White Sox, some Braves. You'll see Puig called up this weekend. That's a little bit of a surprise, so we'll get into that. But I want to start out with the MVP talks. Mike Trout, 8.9 war, uh, when your story was written yesterday. He leads the league in that, but he's on a losing team. I used to be the thought that, you know, I want my MVPs to be on a team that's contending. Um, but I think that maybe I'm starting to switch and say, you know, Mike Trout is better than everyone. He's having a better year than everyone, and it's not his fault that the rest of his team isn't picking up their end of the of the deal. So I guess I'm on Trout for my AL MVP, but I know that you're leaning a different way. Yeah, I do believe that it's much preferable to have a uh, an MVP from a winning team, from a contending team especially, um, I would consider Trout, and I believe I said he, I had him fourth. And uh, to me, I'd still pick him over uh, a lot of great players who are having terrific years, uh, including Manny Machado and David Ortiz. He's right in that mix. Uh, to me, uh, there are three other great players having really spectacular years and helping their team uh, in the playoff hunt. And uh, so I'm, uh, I do believe uh, Jose Altuve and uh, Josh Donaldson and Mookie Betts on my ballot would be ahead. I don't happen to have that vote this year, so you can rest easy uh, for people who disagree with it. I have a different vote. But uh, uh, my belief, based on the history and the precedent, is that uh, it's about impacting a race. Uh, most, it's, it's called most valuable, and it's been treated that way, that valuable counts. And I, I understand that people are going to say it's not Mike Trout's fault, well, you know, unfortunately, that's life. It's not his fault he was picked by the Angels. If he wasn't picked by the Angels, uh, the Yankees were going to pick him, I believe, next or two after, and they were going to take him. And in some ways, you know, someone could say that's a bigger blow to Mike Trout, or maybe not. Maybe he loves Southern California, whatever. Uh, to me, that's life. I, if, if Mike Trout was having a historic season uh, and on a last-place team, I might consider him a little more strongly for the first place where, we, where I felt he was way above Betts, Donaldson, and Altuve. But I just don't feel that way uh, at this point. And, uh, yes, it is not his fault. I think he's a great player. Uh, I'm not punishing him by voting him fourth, but uh, I think that uh, in terms of valuable impact on a race, he is behind those three players. And, I, you know, I, I do believe that war is a very good stat, and it, it, it's a, a stat that counts everything, but it, it does uh, rely on some opinion. Uh, somebody had to uh, decide what was valuable and what wasn't, and uh, I, I'm not disputing that he's probably having a slightly better season than the three guys I'm voting uh, ahead of uh, him. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's it's so perfect that we would say, oh, Mike Trout is definitely this much better than these other guys. And, you know, I do think that there is a little more pressure on these other guys. Not that Mike Trout couldn't have done it, but 
Uh, they're playing with everyday pressure, uh, needing to help their team. And if they make mistakes, it hurts their team in the pennant race. And Mike Trout doesn't have that. Uh, even his own manager said that. And I don't. I think he'd be hard pressed to find players that uh, dispute that. I have not heard any real argument from any players uh, regarding the idea that it, it's about uh, valuable and winning and the pennant race to some degree. So does it? I know you said it would have to be something historic. Is that kind of the line for you for if a guy is on a team as bad as the Angels are, that what he's doing has to be historic, kind of like A-Rod with Texas, um, to get consideration for that top spot on such a bad team? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at A-Rod. I'm not even sure that was historic. Uh, to me, uh, Barry Bonds' 73 home runs was historic, and I understand that was tainted. Uh, a memorable season like Roger Maris, 1961. Certain seasons have been historic, 190 RBI season, uh, the big home run season, the triple crown seasons. Uh, those, to me, are historic. Now, does that mean if you win the triple crown, you're automatically MVP? Uh, no, I don't think so. I did favor Miguel Cabrera that year, but... Uh, to me, that was a year, and I understand Trout always has the best four in the league, uh, but I do think that Cabrera was also spectacular that year, and I understand his war wasn't as good because his defense wasn't as good. Well, he switched positions to help the team that year uh, and enable them to have Fielder on the team as well. So uh, I thought that was an impactful move and enabled them to make the playoffs as well. So, um, you know, I, I think it would be, have to be a guy having a historic season and not having great MVP candidates elsewhere. And I think that has happened in the past. I think we have seen that uh, on occasion. I'd have to go back and look at A-Rod. There have been five guys from losing teams. But that just tells you what the precedent is, how strong it is, uh, that uh, it's preferable to have a, a player who's helped his team get into the playoffs, uh, you know, that only five guys from losing teams have actually won the MVP. And uh, Dawson was one of them. And... Uh, uh, A-Rod and Ripken and Henry Banks twice. So only five times has that happened. Uh, it's possible that uh, Trout will win this year. I, I wouldn't say it's a terrible choice. He's had a great season. Uh, statistically, he is probably the best. But uh, in my opinion, the other guys have had spectacular seasons and impacted the pennant race. Yeah, it's close. I, I think that I would tend to lean towards the, the guy on the winning team. The thing that I don't want to see is people winning or getting consideration over trout because of shock value or a guy like Mookie Betts people didn't ex people didn't really see this huge year coming from him and because it's such a surprise they're like oh well he's been so valuable and I think that he's been worthy I don't think it's just a shock value thing with Betts I think he's worthy I think Altuve Donaldson I believe those are the the four names towards the top of your list along with trout if not the top four um, so who right now is your AL MVP? Yeah, and I, I don't uh, give Moogie Betts extra points for uh, the shock value. I just think he's had some very huge moments. I mean, he basically took apart the Orioles by himself in a in a head-to-head uh, uh, -head showdown uh, in the AL East, which is, I do think, the best division and the toughest division. So at this moment, I would probably lean Betts uh, and then go with Altuve, Donaldson, and Trout. But uh, I, I could see any of those four winning it. I wouldn't uh, put up a big fight on any of them. Uh, I think those are your four top candidates. I think Machado and Ortiz have um, arguments for them as well, but I, I think that they're probably uh, five and six 
on, at least on my ballot and probably on a lot of ballots. Maybe the thought's changing here, but looking down the road, I don't know that in this specific instance with Mike Trout, people are going to say when he's retired, ah, he only had one MVP or two MVPs instead of, you know, four, five, or six. When looking at, and again, this is way down the road, but when looking at Trout, are, is anybody going to look back and say, I don't know if he's a top this player of all time because he only has this many MVPs instead of that? Is that something oh, that people look at anymore? I mean, he's probably uh, almost surely going to finish in the top four this year. I, I you know, I, I think a lot of people think like you do, so I do think he probably will finish higher than fourth this year, and we still have some time to go, but we will see on that. Uh, if he's first or second or even third or fourth, let's say, this year, but he's been first or second every year so far, uh, you know, I, he's obviously off to one of the greatest starts in the history of Major League Baseball along the lines of Ty Cobb and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. I mean, it's an all-time great start. Uh, you know, maybe two years ago you could have said, well, you know what, uh, Cesar Cedeno and a couple other guys had starts somewhat similar to this. But now we're in the fifth year. Um, he's showing power. He's obviously got speed. He's a great center fielder. He is a lot like Mantle. Those were the early comparisons. Uh, he is an all-time great. You know, this year I actually said I do believe he's the best player in baseball. Uh, early in the year on, on Twitter, I don't remember what the context was, but, man, did I get a lot of pushback from Bryce Harper fans. Uh, I, I must have gotten hundreds of tweets telling me what an idiot I was, or maybe slightly nicer than that, but basically that Harper was the better player and uh you know i'm not uh, denigrating harper in any way obviously he's fallen off in the uh, since uh, may this year but uh to me mike trout he runs he plays center field uh he's got power uh he walks a fair amount uh to me uh, he is the best player in the game and i think it's difficult to really argue that at this moment yeah and to be fair i mean no matter who you say is the best player in the game you're gonna get called an idiot so <laughs> well, I think today, if I said Trout's the best player, I might be—I might survive it a little bit better than in late April or early May, whenever I said it, because uh, uh, obviously Harper's off to a decent start, and people recall that last year he was actually even better than Trout, but uh, you know, due to maybe shoulder and uh, and uh, neck issues, and maybe it was Joe Madden pitching around him and it kind of threw him into a funk. I don't know, but. Uh, Bryce Harper uh, is not even an MVP candidate this year, not by a long shot. Yeah, and speaking of MVP candidates in the National League, it, I, I get the sense that Chris Bryant is kind of running away with it. It's not; It doesn't seem nearly as close as the American League. There don't seem to be as many arguments for that top spot. I know you'll hear Corey Seager, uh, Daniel Murphy, um, Nolan Arenado, Anthony Rizzo. Do you see a situation where Chris Bryant – doesn't win the NL MVP. I mean, it's anything is possible, but uh, yeah, I've been arguing for him for a few months now. Um, he's been terrific at third base. He was great in right field. He was great in left field. He could play a little center field. You've never seen a superstar play so many different positions um, right up there in all the power numbers, home runs, runs scored way up there. A terrific base runner. He's a great all-around player. Um, to me, he's the MVP now. If someone wants to tell me it's Murphy, uh, I could see it. He's been really, really good this year. Um, there have been a few other guys who have been uh, really good. Uh, Corey Seager has been really good and plays shortstop for the Dodgers. I see he has a case as well. I, I would say at this moment, 
uh, Rizzo looks a little bit behind, uh, certainly Bryant. If you looked at, look at him with Bryant, I could see him uh, having a case with the other two, but uh, I would say he's probably not likely for a top spot vote at, at this moment, but uh, he's probably running fourth. So, uh, you know, it's been a great year. A lot of guys having spectacular seasons, but uh, uh, to me, the versatility, along with the greatness, uh, puts Chris Bryant at the top of the heap. But, boy, Daniel Murphy has been awfully good, and so has Seager at uh, shortstop in his rookie year. And not because it's a surprise. I think we all knew that uh, Seager was a top prospect in baseball, but uh, playing shortstop, being the best player on a first-place team with all those injuries, uh, I do like him uh, and probably would put him second at this moment, although Murphy has a case for that as well. Yeah, Murphy, I think, has the, the valuable case there. I mean, where are the Nationals if they don't have him, especially with Bryce Harper's struggles? But with with Chris Bryant, and I don't know if I should be surprised that he's this good this soon, but it's I'm a little surprised because he entered the year. I know last year there were strikeout concerns and is he going to make enough contact? And is there going to be a sophomore slump? Are they going to adjust to him? And I think he has surpassed everyone's expectations already in his second year. Would I have been surprised to see this three, four, five years down the road? No, but are you surprised to see this happening so quickly with Bryant? Not shocked. Uh, he was an incredible player in college. He should have been the number one pick. Houston obviously blew it, taking uh, Mark Appel from the hometown. Uh, hopefully that he'll straighten out and make it to the majors one day. He was in the Phillies of the minor leagues and had an injury this year. But uh, Chris Bryant was by far and away the best college player that year, came up, uh, won the Rookie of the Year last year, uh, showed incredible uh, talent, uh, showed poise, did not get too upset when he was left down for the first uh, 11 days or so so that uh, it would affect his uh, uh, status as a free agent. and, uh, you know, I think he's just a ter- terrific young man and uh, a great ball player. I'm not shocked in the least. Moving on to the Cy Young Awards, the American League Cy Young, obviously I think Zach Britton is the big one if you're going to throw him into the mix or not. Otherwise, for me, it's Cole Hamels. I know that you also mentioned Chris Sale. I'm not – I wouldn't give it to a closer at least this year, but I guess if you're going to – give it to a closer this is the year because I feel like even with Sale and Hamels neither one is by any means running away with it so if there's a year that a closer is going to win this seems like the best shot for Britain yeah I mean nine closers have won it in the past and uh, I think some of that has changed and only one uh, Gagne in 2003 has won in the last 24 years or so so I think once the war came into popularity and people started to realize that uh, in terms of win value, the closer is probably uh, behind a starting pitcher who throws, on average, maybe three, three times as many innings. Uh, I think it's become less popular to vote for a closer. I think uh, this is a good year to consider a closer because uh, there isn't any starting pitcher who's having any kind of a, beyond even historic, I would say even dominant uh, type season in the American League. There's about... Uh, 10 to 12 guys who are kind of in the mix. I think you and I have kind of settled on the top guy as Hamels. I think he's been the best, and he's pitching in a tough park uh, in Texas. So I think Hamels was, for me, my slight choice uh, to be ahead. I had Sale second, and I I think I'd probably put Britton third at this point. He's been that good. Uh, He's been perfect on the saves. He's got incredible ERA, uh, incredible uh, whip. 
the highest ground ball rate. He's only allowed one inherited runner to score. Uh, I mean, it is a historic season for a closer. So somebody wants to tell me he's the uh, Cy Young winner, I, I'm not opposed. I know that some closers have actually won the MVP. I, I wouldn't see that. I don't think we're to that point. I think at this point we're going to say that uh, it'd be probably be tough for a closer to win the MVP. I mean, I never want to rule anything out. It could be a closer someday who's 100 out of 100 with saves or something. I don't know. But uh, I don't think that Britain really is uh, or should be the MVP candidate with with all the guys that we've mentioned previously. But in terms of Cy Young, mm-hmm. if someone tells me he's a Cy Young winner, I, it's hard for me to argue uh, too strenuously. Um, some There are some stats that... Uh, uh, look at uh, moments in the game and uh, how much uh, win probability he's added and things like that, and uh, they might even suggest he's on top. But uh, I'm kind of with you. I think Hamels, with a very terrific season, uh, to me, is the leader. And uh, there's so too many names after that to even name uh, who are other candidates for those other four spots on that ballot. I don't happen to have that vote this year, but uh, I'd still put Britain in the top five w- with the – incredible season that he's had in the national league on the top of your list is scherzer and bumgarner i'd probably lean bumgarner but i want to know one name that wasn't mentioned would you argue with someone who wants to vote for kyle hendricks as the cy young winner no not really i mean he's been amazing should have made the all-star team he's been the best pitcher in the second half uh he's been incredible i think he's maybe a strikeout and his innings are not quite up there with scherzer don't have the numbers right in front of me but I, I think Scherzer and Bumgarner are probably my top two, and uh, I wrote about whether Kershaw should be uh, considered, and I still think uh, if you look at what he's done to have you know, 100-plus unbelievable all-time great innings uh, is pretty valuable, and uh, he kept the Dodgers in there while he was playing, and you never know. He might have two or three games to go, and maybe uh, people will be talking about him again. He's been a little bit out of the news other than people wondering when he's coming back and one day he's pitching his re-up game and all that but uh you know if someone told me today that he's he's a Cy Young winner I you know I, I don't I know he doesn't have the innings to qualify for the ERA title but you don't need that for the Cy Young and uh I could see that and I would put him in the top five uh, as you correctly read I have Scherzer Bumgarner one two right now uh, but I would have Kershaw in the top five as well yeah, I think those are the two big arguments. One with Hendricks, he's not necessarily a strikeout guy, relies heavily on his defense. Um, I don't. I feel like you get publicly shamed if you say that you don't have a problem with Kyle Hendricks saying, okay, well, I have a good defense behind me and giving up weak contact isn't. I mean, what's the difference between striking a guy out and having a guy hit a weak ground ball to shortstop? I mean, I, yeah, I think that's fine. I think his innings are just a little bit lower right. than uh, Scherzer as well. Scherzer's pitched uh, more innings, and he has many more strikeouts. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he's, to me, the clear eight to that staff. I know Strasburg had that record early with no losses for a long time, but uh, Scherzer, to me, is that dominant number one guy. And maybe it's a little bit of that stereotype ace thing that I'm looking at, but uh, and Hendricks is probably not been considered in the top two or even three of that staff. Uh, and Arietta has been very good this year, uh, and so has Lester. Um, but I don't hold that against him in any way. I would just say that the innings are a little bit lower, uh, and I you know, look at the strikeouts to some degree. He has mm-hmm. pitched a little bit like Maddox. We didn't hold it against Maddox if he didn't strike every everybody out or blow everybody away. And 
but he, he doesn't have a 1-5 ERA like Maddox said, but his ERA is the best in the league. So uh, at this point, I'd put him in the top five, but as I said, I had Scherzer, uh, Bumgarner 1-2, I'd have Kershaw in the top five, and I would agree that Hendricks should be in the top five somewhere as well. Yeah, Hendricks has the best ERA. He is seventh in war. Scherzer, number one in war. Kershaw still two, despite missing now two months. So I think that can help his case. And then, surprisingly, that now that I'm looking at it, number three is Tanner Roark from the Nationals, who is um, one of the most, if not the most, underrated pitcher. I should probably note that he's from Wilmington, Illinois, and went to Wilmington High School, which isn't too far from where I went to high school. But another one of those guys that, if the Nationals don't have him, who knows where they are with some of their injuries so exactly very underrated pitcher went to the bullpen did what he was asked a really really good pitcher and university of illinois champaign urbana uh, i went to the big 10 myself but don't have that as close a connection with you so i give you the edge on the brush with fame there <laughs> thanks i appreciate that <laughs> looking at um looking at manager of the year we didn't touch on that but jonah carey has been tweeting about it that it's kind of a hard thing to vote for because how does a manager improve get worse how, and so how do you vote for that on a year-by-year -year scale so if you have I don't know if you've ever had a manager of the year vote but when looking at that I guess what is your criteria or what are you looking for on a year-to-year -year basis I would say that uh, the team that performed most above not only expectations but the talent level at this point we know kind of an, have an idea what the talent level of a team is uh, so uh, I would say the manager that helped his team perform most above expectations uh, would be my manager of the year. And that could be a number of guys, even, you know, Dave Roberts I know is up there. Some people look at Joe Madden and the Cubs, even though they have plenty of talent. So um, a couple different options there in the National League. Yeah, I, I would go with Joe Madden right now. I mean, I, I mean, I just think Joe Madden is a, uh, in a way, historically good manager, just a, and certainly a very interesting guy who's the perfect guy for the Cubs, the lovable team. Uh, I just like his press conferences. Not voting for him for the press conferences, but uh, you know, I, I do think he has a, a great team. But uh, they've outperformed expectations and even their talent level, considering their experience and everything else to this point. Uh, Roberts, I think, has done a very good job considering all the injuries. They've actually uh, gained a lot of ground since losing Kershaw. Uh, he's to be commended for that. I, I think he's a very, very good manager. Uh, but at this point, I would lean toward Joe Madden as my NL manager of the year. And then quickly on the American League, I'm probably saying Terry Francona. Yeah, I think Francona's been great. I, you know, I've never been a believer in the Indians. So, I mean, I, if I go by what I've thought, <laughs> you know, and they've lost Brantley, and uh, and uh, he's overcome that. Now, there have been a lot of injuries around the league, so a lot of people have lost a lot of guys. I think Bannister happens to be an excellent manager with Texas. Uh, their run differential was negative till very, very recently and still way in first place. Uh, they've killed their rival Houston in head-to-head. -head. They just knocked off Seattle in a bunch of games. So I think Bannister, I think, is terrific. Obviously, Francona is a, a great manager. He's won a couple World Series. I think it's uh, close between those two, but I'm kind of with you, Tommy. I, I would lean toward Francona at this moment. Moving on to some more of the team-specific stuff that you had in your notes, I want to start with the Atlanta Braves. I get the impression that they're going to be, or at least – they seem like they want to be a big player this offseason, whether it is in free agency, whether it's 
in the trade market. They have plenty of young pitchers who you mentioned are still a couple of years away, so you can get away with trading them or you can wait on them. Um, they've said that they've want to, they want to spend money, and catcher is a big need. You have Wilson Ramos out there, uh, Matt Wieters, I believe you mentioned Jason Castro, uh, Brian McCann on the trade market, so they want to definitely upgrade catcher. Looking at the Braves and how they attack this offseason, first of all, how far away as of right now do you think they are from realistically contending? I think they're still a couple of years away from contending. Uh, I love the way they've stockpiled all these talented pitchers, and I think they're going to be really good, but I still think they have a little bit of a wait. You know, they have that first year that should get good attendance with that new park, which I'm sure is going to be beautiful in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, I still think that they don't have a team to contend right now. I, I think Washington and the Mets uh, and Miami are well ahead of them. I, I do think they will spend some. I'm with you on that. Uh, they need to get a catcher, and they know that. I mean, A.J. Brzezinski, got to love him, done a great job, had a great career, but uh, time to call it a day for him, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, you know I, I shouldn't be telling him when to retire, but at this point I think he's had a great career. Um, you know, they've talked to the Yankees about McCann. They like McCann uh, because he's a leader, because he was a brave. Uh, he would help the young guys, and if they could work out a deal, they'd do it. But as we've talked about before, uh, they're very far apart on the uh, discussions. Um, they want to just pay half of McCann's money and uh, give them little, give the Yankees little back. They figure right now McCann uh, is only worth that. Uh, he makes $17 million a year, so they're willing to pay $8.5 million a year or so for the final two years. Uh, Yankees would like something decent back. Now, the Yankees are in a tough spot because they've got Gary Sanchez. I shouldn't say tough spot. Gary Sanchez is terrific. So he's going to be their catcher going forward. Uh, McCann is at this point a part-time catcher, D8, so uh, he's got the no trade, but you got to figure he would approve a trade to the Braves at this point. He's not only was a, is a former Brave, he is from Georgia, so uh, he, he'd be willing to do it. But those discussions have been tabled as the sides are far apart, and the Braves are gonna, at least going to investigate uh, the big free agent catchers, and uh, they'd love to get Wilson Ramos, who's had a great year for the Nationals, take him away from a rival, that would be the top one, but obviously that's going to be big bucks off of the year that he's at. I think Matt Wieters is a guy they considered last year if he didn't take that uh, qualifying offer. As a guy who went to Georgia Tech, I think they would consider him. And I think they like Jason Castro a little bit too. So the free agent market uh, is pretty good for catchers. It may be a disaster overall, maybe particularly terrible for starting pitchers, but pretty good for catchers, and uh, that's what they're going to be looking at primar primarily. In terms of pitching, they've got Fultonavich, who's done a pretty good job uh, in, this, in this group of guys. I think they'd still like to see more from Whistler and some of the others. And um, obviously they have Tehran. So they, they probably need to go out and get a starting pitcher, uh, however they do that, whether that be through trade or free agency. Yeah, I imagine they'd want one more starter to go with Tehran, Fultonavich, Whistler, Aaron Blair. Uh, I know that they're sitting him out now to kind of keep him on the side and work on um, his delivery and stuff like that but I definitely think they want another starter the, the catching point I think if you if you're the Braves and you say okay we are still three years away from realistically contending then I don't know that you want to sign Wilson Ramos who I think right now looks like he'll get better than Russell Martin did at five years and 82 million Ramos is two years younger um, better offensively in his at least contract year so if you sign if you sign Ramos to a five-year deal, you're counting on the last two years of his deal to, you know, pay off when you're contending. 
if they think they're three years or more away, I think they'd probably go after McCann or should really investigate that as as a bridge guy. You know, I know that they want to build a, a strong clubhouse for these young guys to come up into. Um, McCann seems to fit that bill and can help kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, McCann definitely fits. And if the Yankees uh, change their stance and don't ask for uh, really good young players back, uh, maybe they'll be able to work something out. But uh, I think, understandably, in this case, uh, uh, off the year that McCann's had, which is okay, not great, and uh, knowing that he makes $17 million, uh, the Braves don't want to give up uh, good young players back to the Yankees. Um, you know, I think, I think that they have an, a, a, a negotiating point. Uh, the Yankees don't have a lot of places probably to trade McCann, Texas was one place that liked McCann. It's, it tried to sign him when he was a free agent. Uh, they've now gotten Lucroy. Uh, he will be brought back uh, with his $5 million or $5.25 million option picked up uh, thereabouts. So Texas is no longer an option. I think the Yankees are not in a great negotiating uh, point there, and I think maybe the Braves are maybe going to put a little pressure on them and try to get McCann first. But, uh, uh, you know, they're pretty far apart, as I said. The White Sox you mentioned that with an 80-year-old owner might not want to move Chris Sale and Jose Quintana this offseason. Obviously, if they're on the market, they are probably the two biggest names on the trade market available, and the White Sox can probably get a huge haul. That being said, if Reinsdorf, the owner, says, you know what, we're keeping them, I want to go for this, I think we can win, is there a realistic way the White Sox can see what they have and what's available and say, yeah, you know, we can we can go for this and we think that we have a chance to win? Yeah, I mean, it's not just that he's 80. That's been his M.O. He's tried to win forever. That's just the way he operates. Um, you know, he had that white flag trade back in 97, and he hasn't come close to doing anything of that sort since then. Uh, he has tried to win through his 60s and his 70s, and now he is 80. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of people who believe that he's not anxious. Uh, he'd let, he'll let his baseball people investigate it, but not anxious at all to trade Sale and Quintana. And that's part of the reason, I think, uh, that they were not traded. Uh, Quintana's name, he did not hear much out there. So I kind of think that if they're going to trade one, it might be Sale. His value, uh, both have great contracts. So the value is high for both of them, but I mean, Sale is the undisputed ace, probably the best pitcher in the American League over the last, uh, half a decade or so, and I think they would get more back for him. Uh, I do believe the way Rodon has come on uh, since they brought up a catcher who's kind of his personal catcher now, Narvaez, uh, I do believe that they aren't not that far away. They ha- and, of course, I've been fooled by them before. I had them as a, wa- as a wild card team this year, and obviously wrong about that, and I have over-predicted for them in the past, but... Uh, on paper, they should have been a better team this year, I do believe. And with a couple of adjustments, I don't think they're that far away from contending. And I think I take the bait on them every year. I know that last year I thought that they would be they would end up better than the Cubs, and then the Cubs won 97 games, and the White Sox didn't. So chalk that one well, up. Well, there you are. That's because you're from the south side. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so chalk that one up as um, one loss of many. So – that's that's the hard part for the White Sox that I think there's a way to sell. Hey, we're not that far away. Why would we sell these guys? The reverse yeah. to the go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no to me no question about that. You know, you've got a Bray, you've got 
Uh, you've got Frazier. Uh, you've got a young shortstop. I, I think they need a catcher. Uh, to me, I'm not a fan of, of Laurie. Uh, I, mean, I think he's a, a utility man. I don't think he's a starting player. Uh, they need more production out of the outfield. So, I mean, we're talking about probably uh, three spots, maybe a, a bullpen arm that really gets you to Robertson, even beyond Jones. Um, not too many spots. And uh, to me, and of course, I've been fooled again before, so we'll see. Uh, I think they can contend, but uh, I'm sure they will investigate the sale and see how it goes. But uh, don't be shocked, is all I'm saying, if sale stays with the White Sox. Were they in on Cespedes last year? Uh, I, I, yes, they, they were to some degree, but I, I think that their offer was not as great because it did come down to Washington and the Mets at the end. It, did, it does seem I, I, everything you heard out of them was they would have done it on a shorter term, uh, perhaps a three-year deal. Uh, so he got the three years with the opt-out from the Mets where he liked being. So uh, they weren't going to outbid anybody uh, with a low-ball offer. I, I shouldn't say low-ball offer. He did sign for a three-year uh, deal, but they were going to have to go and beat the Mets to to, uh, to get him. Is that a possibility then that you think they revisit yeah, this I mean, offseason? Yeah, I I do think he's likely to opt out. Uh, barring further injury, uh, he's got the nagging calf, but he's been played through it spectacularly for the most part. Uh, he missed a little time, but by Mets standards, he's been remarkably healthy uh, and very, very productive. Uh, two, he's got two years and $47.5 million, so... Uh, to me, the White Sox should make a play for him, and there are a lot of teams that should. I, I did think he was by far the best free agent outfielder out there. I don't know if I should say by far, because I really like Gordon uh, as well, but uh, I, I think he was the best in terms of the productivity, and uh, it's actually pr- that's actually proven out. But uh, I did expect Hayward would play better than this. I expected Gordon to play better than this, and I expected Upton to play better than this. But he's been the one that's actually been worth his contract easily. Yeah, and the opposite side to the White Sox argument is looking at the Yankees where they were, it seemed like ownership was a little reluctant there to to sell some of their pieces, and Brian Cashman was able to convince them, or at least they all decided to make that move. Um, so you can look at them, and they're still in it, and they're only two games back. They sold pieces. Obviously, I mean, they sold a closer and a, and a relief pitcher in, in Miller, not the top starting pitcher perhaps in the American League. So little bit different there but that can be a opposite side of the spectrum to say well look what they right. did i mean the key to them okay. has actually been the call-up of sanchez and mm-hmm. the retirement of a-rod which allowed sanchez to come up and he's been great now the bullpen has actually even been good uh even without miller who i think is the best um i guess britain is having the best year of any reliever in the american league but i think miller has been the best over the last two years and chapman who's obviously a star as well um so they've able been able to uh, continue on as they uh, actually improve. Uh, they were on the fringe of the race. Now I think you'd say they're in the race, uh, being within three games. So uh, you got to give Joe Girardi and the Yankees credit for doing that. I mean, we'll see how the idea of, uh, I don't know if they regret anything they did because they have a very, very good stash of uh, prospects and uh, look good for the future. So I think Cashman is probably happy with what he did. but. You know, you, you you might wonder a little bit, what if they had Miller and Beltron too? Because, you know, obviously Aaron Judge hasn't been any Beltron in right field and Hicks is out. You know, maybe maybe they could have actually won this year if they had just made that one change, which was to call up Sanchez for A-Rod. So, I mean, not to knock them for anything because calling up Sanchez was a great move. And maybe they could have done it a little sooner. I was there in spring training. He did not win the job. He didn't deserve the job. Austin Romine 
won the job. They wanted Sanchez to play every day anyway. They had McCann, so it was an easy call. But, uh, you know, the timing of Sanchez has really been the key for the Yankees this year. And uh, eventually getting him up has put them right in the middle of the race. And the Yankees are 69 and 63, two and a half games back of the wild card. The Mets enter tonight's game 69 65, two games back of the wild card. So, looking at just this year, which New York team is in the best situation or has the best chance at somehow sneaking their way in? Yeah, well, shockingly, I, I think it might be uh, sneaking their way in, maybe the Mets, but. Uh, I'd rather be in the Yankees situation right now because the Mets have just so many injury questions. It's just it's very disheartening. Uh, you know, I think their, their competition isn't as great as the American League. Uh, so uh, I think maybe the Mets will sneak their way in. But, I, you know, you'd almost got to be, be sick to, at this point to have Stephen Matz with a shoulder and an elbow. Jacob DeGrom, who knows? He called for the trainer as he came out last night and then said it was mechanics. I mean, you don't call for the trainer if you've got mechanical mechanical issue. You'd call for the pitching coach and not in such a, a hurry like that. It's not a, There's no emergency mechanical uh, change. Um, so, And he did come out of the game. So I, I'm worried about DeGrom. I'm worried about Mats. Uh, Syndergaard has a little issue, not a major one. Uh, Harvey's obviously out for the year. Wheeler's gone for the year. I mean, it's uh, give them credit for being in there to this point. They have good depth. They've done a nice job with that, but uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't feel great about this. The only thing that they have going for them, I, I shouldn't say the only thing, but the big thing they have going for them is uh, the schedule and the competition. Uh, I think the Marlins, with their injuries, are in a tough spot. Uh, Pittsburgh has kind of conceded in a way, kind of like the Yankees did, and uh, traded away Melanson and Liriano, but uh, you know what? Uh, they're hanging in there, too. Uh, St. Louis, I think, is probably the favorite to grab that second wild card, uh, but, uh, you know, the competition and the depth give the Mets a chance, but I wouldn't feel great about their situation. I'd be protective of Mets and uh, even DeGrom, assuming he's got something wrong with him, and he, he called for the trainer for a medical reason, not for mechanical uh, I, I, I'd be concerned about all that, and I think I'd probably just lean toward shutting Mats down at this point, which does, wouldn't certainly not help them for this year. But, I mean, the kid's a rookie. I, I, mean, I think he needs to be sidelined at this point. Yeah, last year during the playoffs, we were talking about the Mets as they their pitching staff would keep them around for five or six years towards the top of the National League. Are you still as optimistic about the Mets, and especially looking across town where the Yankees – we're looked at as the old team with the heavy contracts they had to unload, and all of a sudden the Yankees, not only are they good now and competing now for that wild card spot, but their future looks a lot brighter than it did a year ago. Yeah, I would agree the Yankees' future looks brighter. Uh, I think if the Mets are protective of these pitchers, they still have a rotation that's tough to match in terms of uh, youth and talent. Um, just got to protect these guys for the future. Pitching is so tricky now. A lot of, I mean, boy, the Giants, the Dodgers have lost eight starting pitchers. The Angels and the uh, A's lost five starting pitchers. And obviously, we see what's going on with the Mets. So, I, I think the Mets are in an injury bind at the moment. Uh, I do think that the, uh, if they're careful, uh, none of them have career-ending injuries, as far as we know. Obviously, Mets is out for the year. Wheeler's out for the year. There's definitely worries, concerns, but I still like their. Uh, group of young pitchers going forward as long as they're careful about it and uh, don't take too many chances and apparently terry collins just told the media in new york 
or that he would not comment when asked if DeGrom is capable of making his next start. So <laughs> things get yeah, worse. Yeah, I'm sorry to laugh about that, but, uh, you know, I, the, the answer, if, he, if he's not sure, the answer is so we're not sure. I, I think not, no comment probably get, either gives you to not sure or no, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say if they're not sure about DeGrom, be careful. Uh, have him skip a start. Uh, you know, they had, they had announced Matt's was going to pitch Thursday. Uh, I mean, he has an elbow. He has a shoulder. They finally had to scratch him. Uh, he did not have a good side session. Um, you know, you, I think you got to be careful with all these guys. So, uh, yeah, I'm not believing the mechanical stuff. It's obviously a medical issue if you call the trainer. Yeah, DeGrom calls the trainer but says it's nothing, and Collins doesn't want to comment, which – is even more bad optics. This is all kind of making Cespedes playing golf look like nothing anymore. So looking, yeah. going to the Blue Jays, another team that have has a lot of questions to answer during the offseason. They still look good for this year, but Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Batista, Michael Saunders, all free agents. Do the Blue Jays have to keep any of them? Are they safe if they let them go? Where, where do they go with these three that kind of, I mean, Batista getting older, wants a big contract. Saunders has had a really good year this year, but not quite the track record. Encarnacion, a little bit older. So I'll come with a little bit of a question, but where do the Blue Jays go with these three? Yeah, I think the conventional wisdom is that Batista and Encarnacion will be gone. Uh, Batista obviously wanted a big payday, uh, had an injury racked season it's been tough for him i still don't see a likelihood there although his price certainly has to come down at this point and carnacion has had a big season will certainly play the free agent market looking for a four to five year deal i think boston we identified early as a possibility and that still is a possibility and saunders no guarantee to come back he is a canadian he did make the all-star team but he's lost a little playing time with upton uh there and i'm just not sure that he's going to come back either I think they could look at Kendris Morales to uh, replace Encarnacion. Uh, not quite the production, but you get a switch hitter who's a very good hitter and uh, a guy who's going to come a little bit cheaper. I think that the new regime uh, is a little different than the old regime. The old regime is the one who brought in all these guys. Price was there briefly, but Tulowitzki, and they were going for Votto and uh, Donaldson, went for the big scores, the big names, and, boy, they inject a lot of life into uh, – Canadian baseball, and I think they did a great job. But the new regime, I think, is uh, a little more uh, judicious about the big deals. Uh, Mark Shapiro was in Cleveland. Of course, he's going to have to adjust to a bigger uh, revenue base and uh, may make bigger moves than I'm expecting. But uh, I think that uh, he never believed in having any one player take up 15% of the payroll, and I think he's going to stick with that going forward. Is there some kind of, and for lack of a better word, I'm going to use pressure to use the momentum that there is for Toronto baseball in the offseason that even if these three guys go, that they have to spend money somewhere because you're still, you still have Donaldson, you're still paying Tulowitzki, Russell Martin. You've got some young guys in Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman. Um, so if they do they still have to spend money with the momentum that they have or are they going to be able to get away with you know, taking a step back. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll probably take a step back in terms of the payroll among those at, that, at those positions because I think they're too far away on Bautista and Carnacion's had that big season heading into free agency. So 
Uh, I wouldn't say all that likely they keep him either. So uh, I think they're probably going to take a step back in terms of that and probably the overall payroll. I know the payrolls naturally go up, especially when you have uh, players that are heading toward uh, arbitration. And they have a good core of young players, so they should try to win uh, next year. I mean, it's not just Stroman and Sanchez, but they have uh, Travis and uh, Pilar and some other good young players uh, i think that uh, the pre- previous regime did a did a good job and that should be acknowledged looking at a few of the the twitter questions that we had we'll start with the diamondbacks when it comes to them not seeing things through where i guess what's the reason for that are they too impatient maybe that seems like too easy of an answer to say yes um but what's the deal with them and why they're so <laughs> quick to make a change yeah there have been a lot of changeovers and if they do it again i think it's seven in 11 or 12 years uh leaving their baseball department and it does seem uh with them not picking up the one-year option at least not immediately on on stewart and dijon watson and tony la Russa, the leaders of their baseball department uh it looks like certainly they're considering another change and uh you know i, I don't want to say it's a fait accompli but it doesn't look great for them when uh Derek Hall, the leader, uh, the president, gets an eight-year deal, and they can't even get that one-year deal. Um, You know, I I guess you could have that conclusion that uh, they're very interested in winning quickly, and they're not quite as patient as some others. They've certainly had some good baseball people there. I had Josh Burns there. He was there for a few years. Uh, Kevin Towers was only there for a few years, not that many. And uh, to only have Dave Stewart certainly a big name in baseball, and Tony La Russa for two-plus years uh, would kind of give you that reputation of being less than patient. I, I would say that's probably a fair. We talked a little bit last week about Zach Greinke and the possibility of being traded. Since then, he it's known that he cleared waivers. It's known that the Dodgers at least reached out to have a conversation that, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't get very far. Um and then a, I don't know if it was a report or a direct quote coming down saying that the Diamondbacks have no interest in moving Granky until next either July or next winter that they think going into next year they're still competing. So now that we have a little bit more information, do you think that they're going to try to get out from under this or can they even if they want to? Um, I, you know, I think they can get out from under some of it. They obviously went over on the deal. I think the Dodgers uh, were in the $160 million range, uh, and I think the Giants were close to that. And obviously 206.5 is a long way from that. And uh, Granke's had presumably what should be his best year uh, at, at this age uh, compared to the end of this contract. So uh, they'd probably have to pay some of that deal to make a, a trade with Granke. I, I think the Diamondbacks are not a team that likes to rebuild. I think they have a good nucleus, and I can understand why they keep him and try for it again next year. Yeah, and seeing A.J. Pollock and how he's played, whether or not they're winning or losing, it's you see the impact that he's had, and it's like, man, if they would have had him, this is this a first place or a playoff team? Not necessarily, but they certainly would be a lot different if they had him. Yeah, I can't say one player would make a difference between right. where they are and a playoff team. Uh, they're pretty far down there at this point. I do think he's a great player. That may have been the most uh, impactful injury of any team, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't think it was a, a twenty, uh, thirty win. He would need uh, a forty-four. You would have to be a twenty-one player probably to move them from where they are now to uh, a playoff position. 
we talked last week as well about some of the changes that the MLB is discussing, throwing out there. Um, one of the questions that we had, does the MLB look to tinker too much, or are they looking to make too many changes, or why are they looking to make I, I these think Rob Manfred, the commissioner, is willing to consider anything. I do think he would like that pitch clock. Uh, I do think there are a couple people in there who would be interested in the uh, limit on the number of pitching changes, but I think there are enough people out there that say you can't legislate strategy, and uh, that probably will not come to fruition. Uh, I do think some of the changes will uh, be, or all of them will be discussed, and only a few of them will actually uh, happen, probably the pitch clock uh, being the most obvious. But, uh, yeah, I just think they're a group that's willing to consider and discuss anything. That doesn't mean we're going to see any drastic changes. Yeah, and I think that's what you want from leadership, that they don't just say no to anything, that they'll consider things. And I think that's what maybe a little bit of the misconception is that there are a lot of ideas out there and they'll consider, but you're not seeing that many changes, I don't think. No, I don't, and we're not going to see 154-game schedule either. So. And then finally, our food question of this week, last week, was your secrets on Arby's. This week, are you a Doritos guy or a Lay's guy? <laughs> I'm kind of a Cool Ranch Dorito. That's what they have in the vending machine here, so that's kind of my go-to. I I, I guess I'm probably a Lay's guy. Does that does that uh, uh, out me as an older person? I don't I don't know. I, I I do like Mexican food. Does Doritos fit on that? I don't know. I'm not. I don't we'll, ever get Doritos. I have to be honest. I we'll hope they don't it. sponsor this podcast. Um, yeah, we're gonna have somebody make that call actually. So. Um, <laughs> check out inside baseball on today's knuckleball um looks like friday is going to be our our day to record this and i believe this will be available on itunes moving forward here in a couple of days so john thanks again and we'll do this next week all right thanks tommy see you later